sun And the west of the moon We'll build a dream house Of love, dear Near to the sun in the day Crazy moon at night We'll live in a lovely way, dear Living on love in pale moonlight Just you and I Forever and a day Love will not die We'll keep it that way Up among the stars We'll find a harmony of life To a lovely tune East of the sun and west Of the moon Just you and I Forever and a day Love will not die We will keep it that way Way up among the stars We'll find a harmony Life to a lovely tune East of the sun and west Of the moon, dear East of the sun and west of the moon Hey, up among the stars We'll find a harmony Life to a lovely tune East of the sun and west the moon, dear, east of the sun and west of the moon. Well, up among the stars we'll find a harmony of life to a lovely tune, east of the sun and west. Of the moon, dear, east of the sun and west of the moon. Inksteads on CITR 101.9 FM. Uh, right now I'm speaking with Eric Nash and uh, the book, the new art book, for lack of a better term, um, from Abrams, Manga Kamishibai. Did I get it right? Yes, that's there it. There we go. Um, which is the term, I guess you put the art of, or the art of Japanese paper theater, which is kind of a precursor to what we understand as modern manga, correct? Yes, exactly. Uh, there's a, sort of an impression out there that everything began with uh, Tezuka. You know, that that's what manga is all about. Mm -hmm. But I think he came out of a sort of rich environs. There was a lot of 
intense activity in the Kamishi Bar before uh, Tezuka's work came out. And I think he was influenced by it, so it can be seen as sort of the roots of manga. It, it's not from a vacuum, so to say. Exactly, yeah. There was a, a great, very fertile cultural milieu in which you see all the sort of tropes of later comic, even comic books. There are rockets and there are robots and <laughs> <laughs> ghosts and superheroes. It's really kind of amazing. It's a very, it's a very rich field. I was really fascinated by the interesting odd crossover, like the uh, was it the Golden Bat? Yes, Golden Bat is one of the greatest things. I think, as far as I can tell, he might be the earliest superhero in the world. No one's officially said that. I hinted at it, but here's a. If you look at it, here's a costume superhero in 1930, which is even before the pulp era in America, mm-hmm. let alone uh, comic strips. The first comic strip hero is meant to, uh, is often said to be uh, the Phantom, and then later on the first comic books are Superman and Batman. But here's a character who precedes them by at least six years. And there are sort of wonderful parallels. He lives in a kind of fortress of solitude, high in the Japanese Alps, which aren't all that high. But <laughs> and he wears a cape, and he's got super strength and can fly, and has a red cape just like Superman. And that amazing head. Yeah. His googly eyes. I love them. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to figure... The, Usually in kabuki prints, those crossed eyes indicate a sort of paroxysm of emotion. It's the very height of emotion Ah. when a character has crossed eyes. Like a level of intensity? Exactly. So I think they're playing a little bit with that and having a kind of funny-looking figure be at this very intense level. And I think that would just rivet a kid's attention, you know. Why don't we, uh, before we jump right into the, the... creations of the media, what is this media we're talking about? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, There's really no parallel in America because uh, we've always been a much richer nation and have not had as dense cities as they did. Mm -hmm. Basically, Kamishibai sort of appeared on the streets in 1930. Uh, Someone described it as if the wind appears on a corner. It's just something that seem to have sprung from uh, the popular, a popular medium. And what it is is a storyteller would come with his bicycle, and he would have a little wooden stage mounted on the back of it. It weighed from 40 to 60 pounds, actually, so these weren't easy to <laughs> lug around. And he would open up the proscenium, the top would open, and then the two sides. So you had a perfect little sort of punch and judy stage there, and he would slide in these large pieces of cardboard. I think they're about uh, 14 inches long by maybe 12 inches, and he would slide these into the proscenium, and it would be sort of paper theater, exactly that, and what he would do is narrate the story. He would serve as narrator and then act out the voices of the characters and do sound effects with uh, sort of rolling thunder and things like that. And the way he made his money, this is so Japanese, 
is not from admissions, but from selling candy to uh, the little kids in the crowd. So at the same time he's telling these stories, he cooks up this uh, sugary taffy for them, and that was kind of the price of admission and how he made his little margin of profit on these stories. It almost seems like a kind of egalitarian um, kind of theater because if I'm right, just guessing here, poor kids would still be able to enjoy it even if they weren't able to get the candy. Yes, I think it's right. And Japan was such a poor nation after World War II that basically everybody watched Kamishi by adults too. And it would be used as a kind of evening news to inform the public. And uh, there were something like five million uh, people would watch this over the course of a year. Uh, so they had adult-themed stories also. And what I think is sort of marvelous about it is that every genre is represented there. From, the, from early on, the manga had a sort of funny story for boys and girls with a, a largely comic character. Then they would have a domestic drama that would m mostly be considered girls' manga, the same way it is today. And then there'd be an adventure action story for the boys. And those are basically, if you think about it, the three main currents of comic book entertainment. Now, you kind of place it within, I guess, a storytelling tradition within Japan? Yes. Kind of, it, it's within, but it's within, without at the same time? Yes, it's, it's like a sort of a popular variation on it. Uh, Japan also has a very strong visual tradition, which the, we don't have in America. Their sort of, you might call it sequential art, goes all the way back to uh, the 1100s, when these Buddhist scrolls were illustrated. And they look like modern-day comics, actually. Uh, one of the best-known ones is called Frolicking Critters, mm -hmm. and it's from the 12th century. And it's really social satire. It shows uh, monkeys as priests in robes, worshipping a toad on, a, on top of a, a dais. So it's, it's social criticism at the same time that it's very funny. And then later on, they had something known as Yellow Books. This was in the, uh, the Edo period, which is more f famous for its kabuki prints. But they would also have these things called kibiyoshi, which were yellow-covered comic books sort of loosely sewn together. And I think I found in the book a couple of images which may be the earliest pictures of a teenager reading a comic book. And uh, the, uh, this tradition of visual entertainment was also followed by the great printmaker Hokusai. He, did, he coined the word manga, in fact, to mean uh, its root meaning is sort of foolish drawings or drawings that you do in spite of yourself. <laughs> it's sort of an irresistible impulse to make these images. And I think it was really a way to sort of free up the imagination and go directly to the unconscious to come up with these images. He did a marvelous one of opium smokers with extended necks, and it looks like something out of a Grateful Dead album cover. <laughs> <laughs> I 
can just picture it now. <laughs> now, w- one of the interesting things I s- I've got from that book, um, kind of not from the paper theater aspect, but the uh, the manga aspect, was that connection between the Fleischers and the illustration style. The Fleischers? The yeah, Fleischers. the the Betty Boop. Oh, exactly. Yeah, that was. Uh that very strongly influenced Tezuka. It, it just seemed to... Uh, he came from a sort of upper-middle-class family, and they were able to afford a 16-millimeter um, film projector at home. So he would watch Disney shorts and the Fleischer Betty Boop shorts, and it's thought that that's where the manga comes up with the big, uh, big eyes. Uh, and there's even a remarkable image in the book of a Betty Boop wearing uh, kimono with Nazi swastikas and rising suns on it. So she's sort of a fascist Betty Boop. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I really love that picture in the book. Like It's a really interesting addition. I'm curious of your own interest in this topic... Yeah, and where um, the research came from. Well, I've long been interested in Japanese subjects. I I was a film student actually, and you know, grew up on Kurosawa. <laughs> so a lot of Kurosawa. Yeah, and Mizuguchi, <laughs> and just all of it. I was just completely blown away. So I've been following Japanese trends, and any kind of new book on Japan, I always find engaging. I first ran across the word in a book called appropriately getting it wrong about Japan. And there was a one-paragraph mention with this new word to me, kamishibai. And I went on the web and looked, and there's really very little in English about it. And what there is in English is mostly concerned with educational kamishibai, as opposed to what's called gaito kamishibai, which uh, which means street corner kamishibai. So I did a little more research and went on a trip to Japan and found a whole library with tons of these things and maybe a handful of books in Japanese about the art form. There were a couple of biographies and a couple of autobiographies, but nothing really comprehensive about the whole art form. And uh, then I went to Osaka and found just an incredible vein of this stuff. I think there's another book, at least, in the Osaka collection, and I'd love to go back there and, and work on that. It's all pre-war stuff, which means it's hand-painted. You know, the, you see the actual paintings by hand, mm-hmm. and then they're kind of laid over with a coating of wax so that they'd be waterproof. But in, in a way, it's such a Japanese medium to use original works of art, but sort of send them out in this kind of lend library form. I'm curious about the research into the actual artisan stuff, because that must have been a lot of work, um, finding yes. out who these people were and finding out their stories. Yes, I had to rely on a translator for that. My Japanese is just... Uh, limited to polite phrases. I had a translator with me for a couple of weeks, so we did the best we could. I think some of these books merit translation into English. They would be of 
of great interest because they cover these very important historical periods in Japan, which was the 30s. There's a lot of wartime stuff, actually, and there's a lot of post-war stuff. And all of these forms are very different from each other. And it's really interesting how different the art styles all are from each other, um, especially like looking pre-war, post-war. Uh, one that really stuck out to me was the um, kind of the one about the girl with the scar on her face from uh, was that Nagasaki? Oh yes, yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, partly because any mention of the bomb was prohibited in occupied Japan when the U.S. was there for seven years after Japanese Japan surrendered. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was just a completely verboten topic. But then, as a way of coming to terms with it, I think, it, it began to appear in Kamishibai and uh, to remind people of what they'd actually been through. Uh, the occupation itself is very interesting because there were American censors and immediately they want to sort of quell they thought Japan had too militaristic a tradition which is partly true yeah. uh, their classical period interestingly is combined with their medieval period so the highest art forms were when there were shoguns and warlords and there's so much of an element of uh, of martial arts in their storytelling and SCAP, which stood for uh, Supreme Commander Allied Pacific under uh, MacArthur, their first priority was just to stamp out any kind of militaristic display in theater or in in Kamishibai. And they even used to chase after these sort of vagabond groups of uh, kabuki players so uh, who would be able to just set up a stage on the fly do a quick presentation and leave b- before the military police could come. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, when when you start to understand Japanese history, it's really interesting because there's not a lot of time between the um, the restoration, the change in kind of government, the fall of the shogunate, and then the Russian-Japanese War was what 1905. Yes. And I think that really went to their heads militaristically because yeah. they found out they could beat Caucasians. So <laughs> <laughs> and that sort of gave rise to this uh, Asia for the Asiatics, yeah. was their phrase. And they went into different countries like Indonesia and Malaya saying, we're liberating you from these colonial masters, and this is the way you should behave now that you're going to be Japanese citizens. And Kamishibai was even used for that, to instruct people in sort of good neighbor relations and how to how to relate to the Japanese military government. Well, the news of the song has been a crime and rap. I don't want to see it on the ground. But then I see when I saw it last, the cast jumped out in the crowd. Stop me 
Now, another thing with the art style was um, just how full and explosive the the cards themselves were. Yes, they really had a strong eye for very bold colors and compositions. Uh, the golden bat with the googly-eyed skull is a is a great example. There's just these blue alps and his uh, enormous red cape going from margin to margin, and the figure in the middle. But even the war propaganda is exquisitely done. Japanese never knock anything off. <laughs> they, whatever they're doing, they do it extremely well. Uh, there's one about the victory in the Philippines, which happened in 1942. Mm-hmm. What, what Americans don't realize is that Pearl Harbor was sort of a part of a collective attack on all these different nations, yeah. and that the Japanese ran up quick victories in most of Asia. And even that propaganda of the Asian conquests is done like, uh, they look like tropical prints. The leaves are very detailed. The compositions are very, very um, managed. And it's the, like, especially with the, the one about the Philippines, I mean, it shows this, like, was it the flags were like an amalgamation of the two flags? Or no, it was... Yeah. The, it, the, well, they showed both flags, uh flying over a balcony as the troops are paraded below. Yeah. And the, uh, I think the Philippine flag, there's some kind of symbolism that when they're conquered, the colors fly one way, and then when they're free, the colors fly the other way. So for the Japanese representing themselves as liberators through these images. Yes, and, and the parade shows a very orderly society of soldiers of both nations and then citizens in civilian clothing sort of marching in this triumphal parade but just at the same moment that Japan was at its greatest extent it was also at its most spread out and thinly defended Mm -hmm. so that was the U.S. strategy was to avoid them where they were strong and attack them where they were weak and sort of climb atoll by atoll up to bombing range was the main idea. So it was just a brutal grinding war uh, of the Americans and the Japanese. What would you say is the space of time that Kamishibai um, had a level of popularity of being used um, like start to finish? What would be like the... Well, I think 1930 is a pretty solid beginning date. And then it remarkably peters out around 1952, just when television comes in. Mm-hmm. So it was it really for, fulfilled some of the functions of television. And in fact, when TV came in, the Japanese would refer to it as uh, Genki Kamishibai or Electronic Kamishibai. That's the way they understood it. There's a little box, and it has pictures. (laughs) (laughs) And TVs were really small originally because the tubes had to be so large. Yeah. So the dimensions would be something like, you know, 10 inches, then about 4 feet deep with vacuum tubes. So, uh, and the first... These are my favorite pictures in the book, actually. 
is that the first use of televisions were actually in public places. People couldn't afford their own, so they would set it up in a park, and the men, grown-ups usually, would stand around watching the television in the same way that the children watched the kamishibai. So it was a very, for, for them, it seemed like a natural transition. Yes. In culture. Are there any other kind of remnants that have stuck around? Well, it's actually survived very strongly in educational kamishibai, which is kind of a subject I don't cover in the book, partly because the edu- there's a, you know, two camps with a division between them, between the educational and the street corner mm-hmm. type. And I think it's kind of interesting. I think the Japanese are still a little embarrassed about kamishibai in the same way that uh, grown-ups might be about comics in the 1960s. They didn't really realize how vibrant a form it was. Yeah. And now, you know, everybody in graduate school is writing about comic books. (laughs) 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 Yeah, let me tell you about it. Next week I'm meeting with a prof here at the University of British Columbia. Yeah, it just astounds me because I remember, you know, as a kid growing up in the 60s, it seemed like a, a, such a special inside thing, you know. Those early Marvels, they only published like 150,000 of them. So it really felt like you were into a secret club with, uh, with the Marvel comics. Well, in, uh, in, in comics academia, it's still a, a secret club. <laughs> 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 there are folks writing on it, but it's a, a select group, and I still have to challenge my profs when I want to write about a, a comic function within a certain period of time. And they, I did one on uh, use of comic type images, woodcuts during the Reformation, and that was a, a little. Oh, work. really? Yeah, because oh. it's uh, kind of similar to the Kanishibai of uh, how the the broadsheets were used um, to pass along, you know, what was happening that day, and that, but it was more of an editorial context and less of a. I guess storytelling context. Uh-huh. That makes sense. Yes. Now, tell me about some of the 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 this, the subgenres um, that really like fascinated. Like for boys, you had the adventure. For girls, like how would it go through a presentation that someone would? Oh well, it'd be these uh, three short stories, if you will, with an intermission in between to sell the candy, of course. The comic characters are very much uh, like contemporary manga, featuring children in humorous situations. It's as simple as getting the neighbor to eat a bar of soap. (laughs) That's sort of the the punchline. And is very much in the tradition of what they call four-panel manga, Mm -hmm. which which are usually comic. Uh, The Stories for girls were usually domestic and focused on family issues. Uh, One of the main uh, manga artists started out in uh, doing these domestic dramas. Uh, Mizuki was his name. And he created this... uh, I'm sure you've seen it if you've seen, uh, you know... uh, pop-affiliated merchandise, he created Gegege no Kitaro, which is a sort of supernatural being who is an eyeball. 
and early on in in the 30s he would do these domestic dramas about uh, it could be something as simple as a girl who wants to keep a kitten and her father's a drunk and doesn't want the cat in the house and then they hide the cat hoping he doesn't find out uh, but uh, every genre is covered there there would be uh, for the boys it'd be science fiction and westerns and crime detective type stories uh, and superhero stories there's another one called uh, Moonlight Mask and he's one of the very earliest examples of merchandising also they made a pressed tin uh, version of Moonlight Mask on his motorcycle and he wears a turban with a crescent in it and these sort of mahjong player sunglasses over the turban so he's quite an interesting character would this be a more natural um, pop culture crossover within Japanese culture than, say, comics in North American culture? I think it was. It, at its height, it was really art of the people, you know, and I think that partly came out of the war use also because soldiers and populations were very isolated. Japan is really a, an island of a few big metropolitan centers and a lot of rural villages. A lot of the island is undeveloped. So Kamishibai was a very portable and inexpensive art form that they could take out and talk to people in the villages. Uh, so I think it did cross, you know, age levels, certainly, and maybe not class barriers so much because it, it was seen as a street art form. Mm -hmm. Well, that would stick with the pop idea then. Yes. Is, uh, I, I'm trying to avoid using it, but it's more of a low culture. That's a term there. Uh -huh. um, now, how about artists that got, like, did you have situations of superstar artists like, say, you know, a Jack Kirby or a Tezuka of that time who created, you know, some stellar character and was able to, like, you know, mass produce his stuff or, you know, people stealing his characters or utilizing his characters? Oh, exactly. Well, that, that would be Golden Bat and Takeo Nagamatsu. Uh, he was he was the superstar of the pre-war uh, Kamishibai. And then some people made the transition into manga, uh, notably uh, Kazuo Koike, uh, who did Lone Wolf and Cub, which is really one of the milestones of world comics, I would say. Mm -hmm. You know, it's an epic spanning 25 volumes and is as thematically coherent as a novel. It really, the characters develop and there are themes within it. It's, it's really a remarkable piece of work. It has and a lot of influence over North American comics. Exactly. Uh, Frank Miller uh, has, you know, given it a lot of kudos and drew the covers for some of the editions of Lone Wolf and Cub. Mm -hmm. And his whole uh, Electra Assassin uh, was very much taken from Japanese art. You know, that's when he started doing the, the long horizontal panels and uh, the multiple images of people running and jumping that, and, the, and the poses of the characters all came out of uh, particularly Lone Wolf and Cub, I would say. 
I think that's my uh, my questions for you today. Uh huh. Um, thank you so much for joining me, Eric. Oh, great! It was fun. It's uh, it is a really fabulous book, and it's a really neat look into um, a unique part of manga culture. Of I uh-huh. guess like a precursor is a, a way to. Yeah. The, the title is a little awkward, but that's what we meant to por- convey, is that Kamishibai came out of manga. Yeah. Uh, I, I was afraid that there was a little too much Japanese <laughs> in the headline, <laughs> but the, the subtitle explains it all. So. Yeah. And it's, that's the one, one thing, is what does it mean by paper theater? Well, it, it's a theatrical art form in that it's done by an actor or a narrator, and it, the paper refers to the, the images that are on sheets of paper. Okay. Well, I highly recommend folks checking it out. And that's oh. uh, Manga Kamishibai from Abrams. Nationwide rockers make the world stampede. Yo, with me, make we grow some weed. Bad charge, nigga, now I must proceed. Yo, we about to make moves, set speed. Please do it, we fight, keep it, I wish I need. Watch me knock you out like a pop of creed. Body blows, busting your shit, making you bleed. Just feed off, dynamic flow to take speed. We want information, no more than just weed. Hey, you can read all about the pure breed. Shallon land, a young youth, you're rocking the go-to. 
low goose Only way I begin to G York is drug loot And let's start it like this, son Rolling with this one and that one Pulling out gats for fun But it was just a dream for the team Who was a fiend Started smoking wounds at 16 And running up in gates And doing hits by high stakes Making my way off fire escapes No question I was speed for cracks and weed The combination made my eyes bleed no question, I will flow off and try to get the door off. Sticking up right boys on real boys. to me. <laughs> 